0: Come out and see Sheila in August. Saturday the 3rd at 1 p.m. at 727 East San Isidro Boulevard in San Diego. Come for some spiritual warfare training and fellowship. If you're in California and you're interested in having your church or small group host a weekend warfare workshop with Sheila, send her an email at infosheila.media at to start the process. That's info at media. Her SWAT prayer group will also be hosting an amazing event at a date to be determined. Stay tuned for details and be sure to be following her Facebook page. Sheila will also be in Montrose, Colorado, September 27th through the 29th at the Western Colorado Church of Deliverance in conjunction with the West Coast Church of Deliverance. For more information, go to wccd.com. In October, she'll be in Auburn, Alabama from the 4th to the 6th at the Skyfall 2019 Bible Conference, cosmology, prayer, and spiritual warfare event in conjunction with Fire and Grace Church. For more information, go to skyfall2019.org. That's skyfall2019.org. Nationally syndicated media personality and author Sheila Zielinski, a.k.a. Weekend Vigilante. You're watching The Sheila Zelensky Show, the only program to bring you the truth behind the headlines, prophecy, and the deeper things of God with a focus on spiritual warfare. And now, here's Sheila.
1: Hey folks it's Sheila and I just wanted to write you a quick thank you note on air for taking part in our efforts to bring the message of salvation and forgiveness and deliverance to this hurting and lost world. Your partnership with Sheila Zelinsky Ministries it matters and it's making a difference in the lives of fellow Christians not just across North America but around the globe. You know, Proverbs 1130 says that the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life and he that winneth souls is wise. When you partner up with Sheila Zlinsky Ministries, it's far more than just giving money to a ministry. It's about sowing seeds into the lives of the lost, winning souls for the kingdom and equipping the saints for the battles we face here in these last days. By sowing financially into this ministry, you are making an eternal investment into the kingdom of God that will pay dividends eternally. Jesus commanded us to reach the lost world with the good news, and this mandate, it's still in effect for his believers today. This ministry is trying to reach as many people as possible so that they can know about the victory over sin that Jesus has provided for us on the cross and the blessings they can have in communion with His Holy Spirit, thank you for your continual support in prayer and in giving. You make it possible for all of us here at Sheila Zelinsky Ministries to continue to do what we do now and grow to even bigger heights to advance God's kingdom. Together, we are all a vital part of fulfilling Jesus' great commission in the earth. We love you, and we are praying for you every day. Thank you for your support. Well, folks, I am really happy and excited because everybody, of course, knows the one and only Dr. Tom Horn. Well, of course, I had Donna Howell on one of his daughters, and I'm having the other daughter on and she's written a very impressive book. And I want to get into this today because I think we all need to listen to this conversation today. Well, not only do we have a vested interest in this topic, folks, but it is very near and dear to my heart. And I've recently interviewed some millennials and they had some interesting things to say today joining me on her brand new release and let me tell you this book it's generating a lot of buzz it is called unscrambling the millennial paradox it is ali anderson joins us today and i'm really blessed by this Allie welcome to the program great to have you on thank you so much for having me i'm glad to be here Well, we're glad to have you on. The subtitle of the book is Why the Unreachables May Be the Key to the Next Great Awakening. That's a incredible as Christians, that's quite a powerful statement, isn't it?
2: Uh, it, it is. And actually, um, you know, we had a working title, which was offhand, I can't remember exactly what it was. We always have a working title when we're writing a book. And after the book is written, then we name the book based on its content. And that was actually the subtitle that my dad came up with. He said, this is the really important because I had included those labels within the book. And when he read it, he said, you know, this connection has to be part of the title. And so I agreed with him. But we had a few different working titles that we were kind of talking about for a little bit. But the unreachable being key to the next great awakening is such an important thing that people are overlooking because of the fact that there are so many people right now who are frustrated with the millennials and they see their activism and their desire to do all of these world-changing things. And for some reason, they're off-put by that zeal. And if we could only get it behind the Great Commission, we could change the world. And so it's it's such an important thing that people need to understand. And yet, for some reason, it's a connection that a lot of people are really struggling with right now.
1: It seems like the very mention of the word millennials kind of draws sort of disparity, angst. It draws a lot of polarization because there's such a a disconnect with, as you just said, the unreachable generation. And what I find really fascinating, I mean, everybody calls them the me, me, me generation, the worst generation. You know, I heard a guy say the other day, it's no wonder that we're like, he goes, if you're looking at the generation, we're hoop. He said so, but oh, I, no. I I kind of think though all our generations kind of thinks the next generation is you know it's like oh boy we're in a lot of trouble. Here.
2: Well, I agree with you. I think that every generation faces a generation gap, and yet part of the statement made in the book, and I I really believe this to be true, we are facing a generation gap that's unlike any generation gap the world has ever seen. Wow. A typical generation. You know What you have is you have older people who know more than the younger people, younger people who have more energy than the older people, and in the middle somewhere, these younger people eventually get older, and what they do is they come around to a closer point of view that is more similar to the one held by their parents, but with their modernized kind of adaptive little flavors that they add to it as they mature. This generation is facing a generation gap that is completely different than the previous ones because the world has changed so drastically in the last 100 years, but even in the last 50 years, to the point that the in the past, people who were raising children... History had provided some kind of a template for them to kind of use to teach their kids how to prepare for adulthood. Because of the way the world has changed in so many ways and on so many levels so very rapidly, what it's done is it's it's put these younger people into a situation that most parents can't really find a template for. And so not only are a lot of them unprepared for some of the cruel realities of the world, a lot of the parents haven't known what kinds of realities would even be forthcoming or how to articulate them or prepare their children for them. And in the meantime, you have these crazy interferences like the immersion of digital things that have come up and and have created an interference between generations. Um, The economy has changed. Religious philosophies have changed. You have all these little elements that none of them are really big enough to, on their own, be the culprit. But when you add them all up, you have this setting in the world today that is different by a million nuances than it was a hundred years ago. And somehow in all of this, the older people tend to be frustrated with the younger people. The younger people are going, what? This is is how we are. What's wrong? What are we doing wrong? (laughs) And it's really hard to bring these two groups of people together. And yet, in the meantime, We have a situation where these people, you know, the suicide rate is skyrocketing. It's the second highest killer of people aged 15 to 24 years old right now. Wow! Witchcraft is like the fastest growing, one of the fastest growing religions or worldviews, whatever you want to call it right now. Um, It's also at an all-time high. Other religions are escalating. Drug use is coming up and up all the time to higher levels. And what really got me when I was doing my research, what really blew my mind is the fact that the sixth highest killer, age 25 to 44 right now, is cirrhosis of the liver, specifically related to alcohol. When I found that out, I thought, are you telling me that somebody has begun to drink themselves to death by the time they're 25? to 44 years old. What? So this generation is really hurting. And what we need to do is figure out how to get back on the same plane with them, rather than continuing to give these little labels like the me, me, me generation,
1: which really aren't doing anybody any good. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, well, that whole narcissistic, self-centered, entitled bunch of me, me, me's is what they get labeled. And as a result, we don't get to kind of get in the mind to say what's really brewing in the minds of our youth, you just said suicide rates are up, they've escalated to an alarming high drug and alcohol abuse. That's one thing in your book, you know, these are top reported killers. So then you add on what you just talked about, Ali, the fact that new age, I mean, Josh Peck wrote a great. Mm-hmm. book on this. As you know, Wicca, Satanism is just absolutely ascending to a frightening level. And then the kids leaving the churches and droves, when you take the culmination, the coalescence of all of it, it's quite frightening, isn't it?
2: It really is. And at the same time, you know, you're talking about the labels, the unreachable, narcissistic, but what, what breaks my heart too is some of their other labels. This is the most fatherless generation in the history of the world. This is the most isolated generation. This is the loneliest, the most anxious, the most abandoned generation. We're supposed to be caring for the fatherless and the widow. So as the church right now, what we need to be worrying about more than anything else, is trying to reach this generation, the most fatherless, the most abandoned generation. These people are hurting. And whether they know how to articulate what they're feeling or not, the fact that the suicide rate is as high as it is, the fact that the drug abuse and these, and the fact that they're they're not all saying we're swearing off all religion, we're done with religion. They're not doing that. They're just finding other religions. So they're still seeking, and they are still open-minded, and they're in a lot of pain, you know.
1: Folks, think about this, what Allie just said, the most lonely, Troubled, anxious, and, and you know, with technology and everything. I mean, I didn't grow up with a cell phone. I actually walked to my friends and knocked on the door alley. I know right. that, That's a crazy concept, but I mean, there was no Instagram. Uh, you know, all these little apps these kids have. Every five minutes, they're inundated with all the technology, like alerts, alerts. The the cyber bullying. They're dealing with stuff we didn't deal with. So the technology can be a double edged sword. But the fact that they seem to be as we just said, unreachable. I'm really happy about this show, because we're going to get into some answers to all this, because it looks so bleak. And we, I think Mm -hmm. as adults, we don't know what to do. Like, how do we, um, you know, I have three sons, I have an 18 year old right now. And you know, I've, I've talked to him, I said, Carter, what do you think the biggest issue is facing youth today? And he surprised me with one of his answers, Ali. He said, you know, you know how back in the day, you know, a young boy could just show up at a job site. And if you showed some initiative, they'd hire you long gone are the days of that, that you could just go out and get a reasonably priced house. A lot of These kids are still living with their parents in their basement till they're 30, Ellie, That's really a very stunning thing as well. And I think it couples on competition to get into schools. There's so much pressure on our youth.
2: Yeah, I, I agree. And I actually did talk about that a little bit in the book as well. You know, one of the things that um, another one of the labels that these lucky young people get to be labeled with so many labels, um, one of them is the live with parents generation. It's sad, but it's kind of true. But there are some factors that have played into that. And again, they are often very quickly labeled as just being lazy. And the truth is that for every generation, you have some people who are lazy or some people who are I not. Mean, I mean, all these things, there are some of them in every single generation, but it's not a blanket term that should apply to the whole generation. And one thing that um, can be said about that is, you know, what your son's saying is true. It's harder to find a job now. The screening is more difficult. And, you know, I remember when I first graduated from high school, I was kind of one of the last within that generation that if you showed up and showed initiative and worked really hard, you could get promoted. And kind of right after that, people started wanting to see a degree or, you know, something like that. And that's actually like recently in the last several years, I've gone back to school, which is um, hard, but fun. But that's beside the point. The younger generation, a lot of them were kind of right in their teen and early adult years when all of the crash was happening around 2008 with the housing market. And there were so many foreclosures and there were so many companies cutting back and the layoffs and all of these things were happening. And a lot of people who had watched their parents invest in real estate and not necessarily in real estate, like buying multiple locations. But even those who watch their parents buy a house and invest in it over a period of years, they watch their parents also lose that property.
1: And they watched their parents sometimes get laid off or lose their job. Folks, stay tuned. We'll be right back after these messages. The head of the US Military Central Command said a grid shutdown situation. It's not a question of if, but when. Folks, I'm gonna talk to you today about EMP Shield. EMP Shield is a world's first whole home and vehicle EMP protection service tested at the nation's most renowned military certified testing centers, The EMP Shield surpassed all military EMP testing standards. This is an amazing product. EMP Shield has models for home, vehicle, generator, solar system, radio, RV, and even a portable travel and camping model. EMP Shield is scalable to any size you need. and installation is a breeze. There's no product on the market like it, which is why we put our name behind it. We believe in providing you with the best solutions and EMP Shield is the best solution use the link below and use code sheila to save fifty dollars off each product why should you get emp shield today because it protects period hi everyone this is sheila zelinski how would you like to advertise your product or service with us we have a very robust audience as well as a large social media reach And we should be supporting Christian businesses. If you're interested in advertising your product or services with us, send us an email at info at sheila.media, that's info at sheila.media, and one of our sales staff will get in touch with you to see if your product or service is a good fit. All our advertising packages can be tailored to fit your budget. Consider advertising on The Sheila Zelinski Show. That's info at sheila.media. Make the inquiry today and get your business noticed.
0: You're watching the Sheila Zelensky Show.
2: A lot of them overcorrected by saying I will not invest in real estate I will not work toward a career by the I'm gonna show initiative and work really hard in that way route toward getting those promotions instead they said I'm gonna take that same money and I'm gonna invest it in my education because my education becomes a degree that I can take with me a a doctorate a PhD at whatever level they decide to pursue and I can take that with me if something goes bad in one state I can relocate to another state if the company goes under I can go find a job in another company This is like, have education, will travel. It's a surefire way to invest in themselves. And so by doing that, they've invested a lot of money in student loans. And they also, those who do choose to buy a house or saving up down payments. They do that a lot differently. And what this means is their finances are strapped through their 20s in a different way than what previous generations had. And so a lot of them live at home. But if you look at the statistics, a lot of those people who live at home with their parents actually are either saving for a house, paying off student loans, or putting a lot of money into savings. The statistics of how many of those people are actually unemployed or or just spending their money are actually surprisingly low.
1: Well, yeah. And then couple that now with this fatherless generation idea that you were talking about and you know I was looking at some fatherless statistics for just 2018 and I was floored Mm -hmm. and 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 a lack you know one thing I had is a I'm really been very blessed because Allie I had a lot of strong manly male role models in my life and now you know, there's no there's no mentorship, there's no authentic mm-hmm. investment in these kids, and I think this fatherless generation—it's such a spiritual issue too, though, isn't it?
2: It really is. You know, uh, the the crumbling of the family unit, I believe, is another type of attack. You know, the that if if something is working and it's doing good things, Satan will attack it, and if if he can get it to to crumble, then he can gain ground in masses you know what i mean and the and the family unit began to crumble and has continued to crumble we are down to 37% of children being raised in a household with both parents yes and 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 even further we're into households so so it's um around 70% of those parents, those households that have both parents around, I think 60 or 70% of those have both parents working. So even when you're talking about single parents, you know, uh, there are a lot of really good single parents out there. So it's not, it's not a bash on a single parent. Life doesn't always work out the way you plan. You know, um, that's, that's just part of it sometimes. And, um, And so a lot of these people who are single parents are very good single parents, but they're spread between parental responsibilities that should take two people and employment, which sometimes takes two people too. So they're really spread four different directions. And even the households, 37% of households that have both parents raising children, even then for something like 60 or 70 percent of them both parents are working so spread between parental responsibilities and employment responsibilities so it, you know you think about old school things like sitting down at the table for dinner together and you know having family devotions together and attending church together there are a lot of families out there that have parents that are trying really hard and they're just not able to these things are like a, a luxury of days gone by you know what i mean yeah. it's just something they can't find the time for. And it's very sad. And the worst of it is the fact that who pays the price are these children that they don't know how to articulate what they're missing, but they know that they're missing something. And that's part of what's driving the millennial generation crazy is the fact that they are looking for things like community. And it's it's these things they've gone without that they're intuitive enough to know they're missing. But because They didn't have it in the first place. They didn't know what specifically was taken away, if that makes sense.
1: Well, it does. Absolutely. And you no. Know, just for the record for people, Allie, what is the actual quote unquote age for? What are we talking about when we talk about millennials? Tell people the age of it. And I really want to get into chapter seven. It's called What Millennials Really, Really Want. And of course, we're going to talk a little bit about the, the switch. I have this book, The, the Cross and the Switchblade. Awesome. I, yeah. And I love how you're in the beginning of the book, you say, one of the things your dad asked, Asked you Is how do we get to the place where the millennial says, "Keep it up, preach, you're coming through"? And so we're going to get into so much now in the you okay. know the, the second half of the show, but start with roughly what is a millennial?
2: Okay, so there are a few different people or organizations who have outlined what age the millennials are and what the birth years are. Um, For simplicity, I just used the Pew Research Center and millennials, according to the Pew Research Center, are born from 1981 to 1996 and then post-millennials are from 1997 to present. Now, So many of the issues that happen for the millennials and the post-millennials are the same. So I grouped them all in one, rather than to say the millennials and the post-millennials all through the book, I just said millennials and just kind of left the post off because a lot of the things we're talking about are, they apply to both groups. Um, if there was something that really specifically only had to do with the post-millennials, I specified that, but I think that only happens once during the book because so much of it is just, you know, applies to both groups. So anybody basically born from about 1981 to now falls into the category of millennials as okay. it pertains to the book that I actually wrote.
1: Get into how the Nikki Cruz story, because again, I um I have a very good friend that's with Nikki Cruz Ministries and Nikki Cruz is unbelievable. David Wilkerson was, I mean, incredible story. Get into how Mm -hmm. that weighed into the book too.
2: Well, it was really interesting the way the whole book started. Actually, I had just turned in one book project and he, my dad, he had me starting another one and um, I was collecting my research, but we had to go to Virginia um, for a work related trip. And so it was um, Donna Howell, Joe Horn, um, Tom Horn, and me, and we were all traveling. And he had sent me some links to some stories about millennials and um, how they were leaving the church And so we were sitting at dinner and he said, did you have a chance to read the articles that I sent you? And I said, well, I haven't had a chance yet because I was getting ready for this trip. But as soon as we get back, I'll read them. And he started telling us about, you know, some of the statistics and just the sadness of the statistics and coupled with the fact that they were leaving the church. And he he said, do you remember the movie The Cross and the Switchblade? And I said, yes, I do. Because when I was little, he had organized a big youth rally and rented a big giant gymnasium for a big high school and played crossing the switchblade on one of those big old school movie theater screens, the projectile ones. And so I remembered watching that when I was little. And just being captivated by it really but the scene where he was talking about where the guy says keep it up preach you're coming through what happened was david wilkerson was preaching and he thought none of the none of these gangsters were listening to him and all of a sudden one of these boys says keep it up preach you're coming through so dad's question was how do we get to a place where we can put the message of the gospel into the hands of the young generation in a format that they will accept and understand it to the point where instead of just kind of having their eyes glazed over, they will say, keep it up, preacher coming through. And basically that question dominated the whole rest of the trip. I was taking notes and Donna was saying some ideas and Joe was saying some things, but right away we figured out that the conversation really wasn't about flashy worship services, or some of the things that people are trying to do, and these are well-meaning churches, but we figured out right away, this is a matter of the heart. You know, if this were just a matter of your church not being interesting enough, the suicide rate wouldn't be escalating and the, and the, you know, the, the cirrhosis of the liver, you know, things like that. And so it just, it became a conversation of, you know, this is a lost and dying generation and we've got to figure out how to reach them. And that became our mission. So that's what we we spent the next few months kind of discussing. So,
1: Wow. Well, I'll tell you one thing that is never going to change from, the inception of 2000 years ago is the answer to all of it, whether this sounds contrite or just sounds like one of those cutesy phrases, it's Jesus. And I Mm -hmm. think, and really what I see is we need revival. I think they Mm -hmm. want revival. We need to see these tired old traditions. Like there's a scripture that says the traditions of men have made the word of God of none effect. I mean, they want to see, I really believe because I've seen some of these um, powerful outpourings where youth report back, like the move of the Holy Ghost. I mean, it's so powerful. And I think there is a generation that are They're either taking a stand against religious complacency or they're drawing a line in the sand, right? Makes sense.
2: Um, Yeah, I I agree. And what it is, is we've got to get to a place where we can get them to experience Jesus because you can hear about Jesus. And unfortunately, sometimes the churches, even when they mean well, their delivery is flawed. And that's talked about in the book. As
1: Folks, stay tuned. We'll be right back after these messages. Do you want a more powerful and successful prayer life? Would you like to see results? God intended you to have victory. So then why does it seem like your prayers seem to go unanswered? Could it be that a key element of praying powerfully is being left out altogether? Discover the one thing the enemy does not want you to know that can make all the difference. This is a practical and easy to use powerful book where we lay out a powerful blueprint for real results. You can step into that powerful place of authority and begin to experience the outcome that you've been waiting for. No matter what is going on in your life, you have the power to change things through prayer. And do you know prayer is different than warfare? It is time to step out now in power and achieve results. Get your copy of Power Prayers today. It's warfare that works find it on Amazon, Barnes and & Noble, and get it brought into your local Christian bookstore. It's warfare that works. Hey everyone, it's Sheila Zelinsky. Folks, did I tell you I'm boycotting Starbucks? Listen, I have been on the hunt since I did that expose for a 100% Christian-owned coffee company, and I'm excited to tell you that I not only found one, but I bought their coffee, and you know what? The only reason I agreed to promote it is because I love it. It's the best coffee that I've ever had, and that's not a line. You know how most people just say that? Well, I actually drink this coffee. I've given it to friends and family and even my staff, and you know what they all say? How do I get more of this coffee? And guess what? For Sheila's listeners, you take 10% off your purchases. You can't get any better than that. And here's the kicker. When you buy bestdayevercoffee.com, you support other like-minded Christian businesses. Hey, shouldn't we be supporting our brothers and sisters in Christ? And why buy from big box stores? Their coffee is stale. Listen, you wouldn't eat stale popcorn. Why drink stale coffee? And check out the flavors. And now they have a sample pack where you can try a whole bunch of different kinds and discover your favorite. Listen, go to bestdayevercoffee.com now and use code Sheila at checkout. There's no better way to start your day than with a delicious cup of Best Day Ever coffee. Drink fresh Drink
0: You're watching The Sheila Zelensky Show.
2: If you are all love with no truth, then it's vulnerable and it's ungrounded and there are no boundaries in it. And what I mean by boundaries are, I mean, boundaries of conduct and things like that. Um, if you are all truth with no love, you are legalistic. And so you've got to find a balance between the two. And and we've got to get the message to young people in a way that they will be willing to come in and receive the message so that they can experience Jesus. Because a person who's heard about Jesus might turn away from him. But a person who has experienced Jesus, uh, that that's going to take a lot more for them to actually turn away from him.
1: Well, and it kind of goes back, I think, to this idea. And I think it's so eloquently said by Nicky Cruz himself. You know, he said, Uh you know, you can get high on sex, high on alcohol. He said himself, I was high on hate and violence. You know, you have this toughest gang in New York City and Nicky Cruz was an animal. I mean, he himself, you know, says that's all he grew up with in Puerto Rico, where his parents abused him, his father Threw him out mm-hmm. of rooms. I mean, he was so abused. But the point is, he said that in David Wilkerson, he saw this powerful anointed man with boldness that really wasn't going to back down, even if his life was at risk. So that kind of passion shines through, doesn't it? It really
2: does. And in in an interview, he's got a documentary called Run, Baby, Run. And in that inter- in that interview in that documentary, he calls it the human element. And basically, he. Exp- Explains that you can hear about God or you can hear about spiritual beings, but sometimes for some people, they need a human person to stand in front of them and basically show them the intent. And so for his dad, that was a man who I believe was involved in a lot of witchcraft and things like that. And so for his dad, he, his dad had Carried himself as a human element, showing dark entities and spiritual beings who, who resonated hate and punishment. And, and so when David Wilkerson began to talk about God. Part of Nikki's um you know defensiveness toward that subject was the fact that any spiritual entity he had ever had represented to him before that point was one of hate and of meanness. And when David Wilkerson was willing to stand there and put his life on the line being that human element showing the love of God, he was able to believe there was a spiritual entity that wasn't all about hate and about punishment and meanness. He was able to see that there was also one that was about love because of David Wilkerson's willingness to stand there and be that human element. And it was really ironic to me when I was um, reading more about the story. And um, I learned that because when I was, I remembered the movie, but the movie doesn't go into all of that. And so when he said, keep it up, preach, I just remembered that line. But then later, when I was watching Nikki Cruz's interviews and things like that, and, and listening to how that actually played out, what was really funny was it turned out to be that he was answering his own question when he asked that. Yeah. Because he was he was quoting the question,
1: but he was referencing the answer and so that was um an ironic spin on the whole thing really. You know, it's one thing to pray, "Oh, let's pray for the millennials," but there has to be action too, doesn't there? Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And I think part of that is is where the frustration for millennials comes in you know the ones that are leaving the church some of the churches are frustrated because of the fact that when millennials say what they want it feels to some of the people within the church like their requests contradict themselves, and so it gets a little bit confusing, but it's because I think some of the millennials are having a hard time articulating what it is they're asking for, but so much, when you, when you kind of dissect their requests, so much of it does come down to action and intent. You know, they, they want to see a church that's willing, rather than to make little changes within their building, they want to see a church that's willing to step out on the street and put action into place in society, outside of their building. And that becomes a point of confusion for people who are trying to make these changes within the four walls of their church building. And a lot of the millennials are saying, we want to see you do something new. And they're, they're saying, okay, well, you know, we'll change the worship service, or we'll change, you know, the location of the classrooms or whatever. And and a lot of the millennials are saying, no, you don't get it. That's not what we're saying. We want to see you hit the streets and take the gospel out and really, really live what you believe, because millennials are a generation of activists.
1: You know, that's what I like about Teen Challenge. It has some good elements like that, too, right?
2: Oh, I think so. Yeah. And I mean, that's, um, you know, David... Wilkerson, that's what he started. He started Teen Challenge, and it originated with his very ministry that went to the street. You know, I mean, another thing that a lot of people may know if they read the book, but they may not realize it, is David Wilkerson had a pregnant wife at home while he was trying to reach Nikki Cruz and his whole gang. He was sleeping in his car. And this is before the era of cell phones. So I don't know how often he was in a position to call home and check on his wife, but she was ready to have a baby any day. So talk about putting action on the street. That ministry was started by the man who absolutely lived that very principle.
1: Exactly right. In the last part of the show, Allie, let's talk about some ways that i mean what you know what are some of the things that we can do right now to intervene in this and, and maybe change the course of history
2: well and that that's a very tough question because I think it's a little bit different for each church depending on what is going on in their community. But a big, big theme for the millennials is that they want to see community. And something that has to be understood about the idea of being involved in a community is it does not necessarily mean your geographical location. So when a millennial says, I want to be involved in my community, it doesn't necessarily mean that they want to host a block party and get to know their neighbors. They need a place where they feel like They are contributing to something larger than they are, something that is an investment in a legacy that's life-changing and that is world-changing. And these are the very things that, by the way, are part of a desire that derives from the fact that we are made in the image of God. And it's also the very thing that the church should be providing. So if we could get past all the cloudiness of how to go about it, this should be a really good fit. But sometimes... um, what some of the younger people are complaining about is the fact that they don't feel like they're involved in leadership and they don't feel like their voices are being heard. And there is a flip side to that, because obviously a church doesn't just put everybody in leadership the minute they walk in the door. There's a whole time of getting to know the person and and all of that, so that has to happen over time, but the dialogue needs to begin. You know, the people that are in the older uh, ranks of church leadership will not be able to keep leading the church forever. They do have to release those keys to the younger generation, and if we can involve the younger people when they ask in what we're doing we can, we can allow them to build a ministry where they thrive and they feel like they are serving a purpose in the kingdom of God, and that can collect its own momentum. But the trick is, as they come in and as, and as we can get them, we need to make our churches more visible so that millennials remember that we're there. And we're going to have to do that by doing some out-of-the-box things. I mean, I mentioned in one of the chalk talks that I was on that we may, you know, do things that are very radically different than we're used to. Instead of doing our Bible study in our church on a Wednesday night, hand out sack lunches on the street, or do something radical. But as we catch the attention of the younger people, we've got to involve them. And we've got, to, we've got to involve them in a couple of different ways. We've got to let them serve, but we've also got to have dialogue with them so that they feel like their feedback is being heard. And in all of this, we've got to mentor them, because some of them, you know, it is a generation of activists, and some of them have fallen prey to some of the ideas that are out there in the world. And what we want to do is make sure that they experience God and that God's life-changing power is working in their lives and then accordingly give them responsibility. So it's, and and that's why the last chapter of the book is written to millennials, because you can't, you can't say, I want to be in leadership and then just expect immediately to be put in leadership. There is a time of transition and there's a grooming process for church leadership there's a lot of things like that but a lot of them really want to serve and they want to change the world and what better place to do it than the church here's something to keep in mind about millennials is that they're part of a generation that can have anything they want streamed or drop shipped to their house So if they physically show up at your church, they are looking for the one thing they can't order online, and that is personal interaction. And again, recall, they are the most isolated, the most fatherless generation, so they're probably looking for a lot of personal interaction that they've missed out on, and they're looking to make up for lost time. So what I would say to church leaders who are thinking, well, what does this mean, the idea of changing things or having dialogue with millennials, You know, what does this really mean, I would say there are a few things you've got to remember. In all of this, you don't want to compromise scriptural truth. That is the top priority. So, if you have somebody who comes to your church and they've got this radical idea of how they want to see things change, but it compromises what the Bible says to do, then that that is a problem, and you do do actually need to decline that suggestion. Um, Beyond that, you don't want to give up some of the uh, important church traditions like communion, things like that that you are used to doing. I think it's important that as you bring in the new you retain the most important parts of the old but what would be so wrong with having a, having a pizza night and showing the cross and the switchblade and allowing some of the younger people in the neighborhood to visit
1: folks stay tuned we'll be right back after these messages
0: The Green New Deal appears to be the number one headline in the news, and it is not going anywhere. But is this New Deal really new? This Green Agenda is not about saving the planet as its creators are quick to espouse. It is instead the re-implementation of an ancient pagan imperial doctrine that seeks to destroy the world's nation-states, implement global governance, and drastically reduce the world's population. The new religion of Gaia is in fact a revival of paganism that rejects Christianity altogether and considers its followers to be its biggest enemy. Gaia is a cunning mixture of science, paganism, Eastern mysticism, and feminism, and has made this pagan cult the fastest growing religion on the planet. It views the Christian faith as the only obstacle preventing the formation of a global religion centered on uniting all forms of life around the goddess of Mother Earth. In her critically acclaimed book, Green Gospel, author, researcher, and broadcaster Sheila Zelinsky demolishes what you think you know about the Green New Deal. She exposes how the claim that the human-induced global warming and the green agenda were diabolical plans deliberately hatched decades ago by the UN and are the greatest frauds of our time. Green Gospel unpacks the greatest deception of our era and takes you through the astonishing who, what, when, where, and why of the Green New Deal and explains what it's really all about. Get your copy of Green Gospel today.
1: Listen, there are just too many reasons to list why you need to become one of my patrons today. Not only do you get exclusive content, you get access to private Q&As with Sheila and friends, commercial free content, and so much more when you become a patron member. But you know what a better reason to become a member of Patreon is? Because you're supporting this broadcast and its efforts to spread the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. When you partner with me, you become a part of God advancing his kingdom and in the end time harvest of souls. That right there is the best reason to get behind this ministry and become one of my patrons. Let me be your voice in this epic end time battle. Become a patron today.
0: You're watching The Sheila Zelinsky Show.
2: One of the suggestions I think I had in the book was have a young married couple night and let them just mingle with each other and, and run a nursery service so that those that do have kids, you know, can kind of visit without the kids. I mean, it's just a lot of kind of untraditional things, but it doesn't mean that things need to be so completely radically different that that your church members that used to go to your church don't recognize it anymore. You know, there there has to be room for, for the old, the sacred part of the old tradition to remain and definitely scripture truth needs to never be compromised
1: exactly right our millennials know a fakey social clubby phony greeting them with a smile and and yet this Derek Rishmay says in an article in Ted of the church failed millennials just not in the way you think it did he explains he said you know from a frustrated millennial he was really put off by all the the modern religious garb
2: Yeah, absolutely. And what he ended up discovering was that when he decided to pray for the church, his personal investment toward the church changed his attitude toward the church. And he began to work for the church and he began to love the church. When you invest in something, you see it in a different light. You know, um, it's a quick example would be if you buy a house, and it's a fixer, and it still has a lot of work, but when you walk in, you see all the things you've already gotten done. You see how you painted this one room, or you put a new roof on it, and you love that investment because it's something that your blood and sweat and your money and your tears and everything else has gone into, and uh, for another person who just drives up, they might go, oh, that house needs paint, you know, and that's kind of how it can be with the church. When you begin to invest and give of yourself, you begin to see it in a different light light. You can see how far it's come. And people tend to idolize the the church in the sense that they have it on a pedestal where they think church should have no mistakes and it should never, there's no there's no imperfect people in church. But that's not true. Church is full of people who are imperfect and needs God's grace just the same way that the rest of the world is. So if you're looking for that perfect, perfect church that has nothing wrong, that is always wonderful, and nobody ever has any awkward moments with each other or any of that, You know, you won't ever find that. But what you will find is if you can invest in your church and if you will dialogue, open up about what you're concerned about or what you're curious about, you may find it closer to being a church family, which is like any other family, you know, people are flawed and they make mistakes, but they come back together and they love each other and they work together. And that is the community that millennials keep asking for.
1: Well, I love this part and I want to read this out on air. I love this. It says, To the millennial, I say, you've repeatedly requested relationship and mentorship, and right now your members within the church are dwindling, meaning that you have limitless access to numerous seasoned adults who are waiting for you. You're vocal, you're bold, you're not easily intimidated, you want to be involved in leadership, and the future of the church needs a generation of people who are willing to speak out on tough issues, regardless of whether the mainstream crowd finds such statements palatable. Our modern church needs outspoken advocacy, Advocates for truth, advocates just like you. And at the very end, I'll flash forward to the end. It says there is only one you, and only you can perform exclusively the function that God has for you within the church. The role that you can play in the body of Christ is uniquely to you. Come back to church, millennials. We need you. Oh, it was like, oh, tears. <laughs> <laughs> well, and it's a true statement. We do need
2: them. We need we need a We need them. Look at them. They're a strong generation of outspoken advocates. They're bold. They're impassioned. They want to change the world. Why isn't the church clamoring to get these people in? Yes. You know, I mean, we need them. We do. We've got to have the Great Commission and the Scripture not compromised, but they're telling the church to tackle the tough truths. So if we can get everybody on the same page, this can happen, and this could be the next Great Awakening. The interesting thing is that the answer isn't simple in that it works fast, but it is simple in that you can start right now. And what I mean by that is that it's not a huge overhaul your church building, you don't have to add on, it's not a facility issue, it's, it's not these kinds of things. Start now taking interest in the young people around you. And it may take time for them to open up to the idea of even being involved in your church. So don't make it all about church, invest in them as a friend and let them come around to whether or not they're interested in church or these kinds of things as God opens the doors for that dialogue. You know. Um, You can be a mentor, you can be there for somebody, you can show God's love in all the simplest ways, you know, and I listed several of them in the book. But I mean, it's very simple things. Get them a birthday card, you know, buy somebody lunch. Um, If you hear someone sick, Take them some soup. I mean, yeah. these sound like very old school things that you're you're like you're not seriously telling me that that it's as simple as that. But showing God's love in little ways all the time opens doors to bigger things. And we can't get to those bigger things. This generation is very smart. They see five thousand ads a day. They are not gonna take a quick sell. It's gonna, you know, you've got to show them that you're real, and you have to show them you're real by investing in them as a friend. And some of them, they may not come to your church, or, or, you know, some of them may continue to live whatever lifestyle they live that you don't necessarily agree with. But God's love can work on people if we can convey that love. All we have to do is be the human element and let God take over from there. If we can stand in that gap and be a human element for somebody who maybe doesn't believe that there's really a God that really Really loves them or you know whatever their reason is that they're not in church right now if we can show love in little ways all the time god will open doors for bigger ways to show his love and we, we keep taking that on ourselves we think that we've got to do more than that but we've got to show god's love and state his truth and god is the one who changes people definitely not us
1: Absolutely. And it's time to put down the phone when you go in a restaurant, you know, everybody <laughs> yeah. put down your phone and have a dialogue. And I mean, look around, every kid is walking face down in a phone. And I think it's just instead of getting frustrated as people to say, oh, look at these kids staring at their phones, why not just start a conversation with somebody, you'd be surprised what God can do when you take that first step. Ali, I think this is an amazing book. Now you've got a package on with the book. Can you talk a Little bit about that
2: uh yeah it comes with the strong's concordance it's a three volume set It comes with um, the book called Champions by Joe. And this book is great. It's about the grace gifts. It's about those, again, the human element. It's about those who have um, reached into the lives specifically of of young people. But very specifically, Joe talks about some of the people who just by being who they are and doing what they do, they were life changing to him and they ministered to him on a really vast level. He talks about Royal Ranger commanders, Royal Rangers as a church group kind of like Boy Scouts and Joe was in it and he talks about you know a man who was just faithful in his duties every Wednesday night to to do these Royal Ranger classes with these boys and he talks about um, a woman named Debbie Short who who was just um, spoke prophetically into his life at an opportune moment and just people who do what they do they take the gifts that God has given them and they share them with other people and they and and it's a life-changing intervention just being who you are and that's that's what we're talking about with the human element so the two books tie in together pretty well and um, they complement each other but yeah skywatchtvstore.com and it's called unscrambling the millennial paradox and um, it's by me Allie Anderson whose last name actually recently changed (laughs) congratulations
1: (laughs) on your wedding too thank you yeah it's actually it's actually Allie um, Anderson Henson now so the book is under Allie Anderson I'm really glad someone finally tackled, you know, such an issue that I think is really I would I would have to say that a lot of my listeners are very passionate about your millennials. But I think there's a sense of, well, what are we supposed to do? You know, and I think this is where the book is so wonderful, because this really gives you some amazing insight into it. And then also what we can do, like I am one that really thinks that we need to be also be really praying, not just for the millennials, but for Doris to open for inroads to our millennials. So thank you for the book. And thank you for your time and coming on the program. We look forward to having you back another time when you write another book.
2: I sure appreciate it. And thank you so much for having me. It's been an honor. And I've enjoyed the interview process. And I just really want to tell you thank you for having me as a guest.
1: Well, and just on a final note, just a personal note, folks. If you don't know the Horn family, I'm going to tell you this is an inspiration of a family. You know, they work together, they play together. They are just the most. Uh, honestly, I think you're the modern day Walton family. I, I've, found, oh. <laughs> I spent time with at, at Tom's Ranch, and I can say, you know, the stuff you do with kids, and you know, your Whispering Pony. It's Whispering Ponies, right?
2: Uh huh. Yeah. 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 I mean, got it's it going just, on right now. Actually,
1: you have a camp going on right now exactly your family you guys really walk the walk and boy we could all really take some lessons from the horn family (laughs) amazing family dynamics that i wish i think we all wish we had that listen it's been a pleasure to have you on and we look forward to coming back Ellie.
2: all right thank you so much
1: folks stay tuned we'll be right back after these messages never before in history have we seen such an urgent need for spiritual warfare are you desiring a powerful and successful prayer life with other like-minded prayer warriors that's what we've put together in swat prayer swat prayer allows you to join like-minded prayer warriors across the west and worldwide so you simply go to swatprayer.com You type in either your city or your state, you hit enter, you see the SWAT prayer icon that comes up on the screen, you click on that icon, that is your state leader. Simply connect with them and they will put you in touch with prayer groups in your state. God is raising up a powerful body of spiritual warriors ready for battle spiritual warfare attack teams that are storming the gates. We are fighting a spiritual battle and as Christians, we can make all the difference in warfare prayer. As Christians, we are given the power and authority. It's our responsibility to use the tactical weapons that God provided to storm the gates. Never before in history has warfare prayer been so urgently needed as Christians we can make a difference go to swapprayer.com today
0: you're watching the Sheila Zelinsky show
1: Thank you so much for tuning into the program today. Listen, don't forget, sign up, subscribe to my newsletter. My e-newsletter is coming out next week. Go to Sheila.media. Get on my e-newsletter because I'm going to be sending out a lot of very great information, guest updates, and really cool stuff. So make sure you are subscribed. And lastly, partner with this ministry. You can simply go over there to www.sheela.media. Media or just com. Go up to the donate and there are options on how to become a partner of this ministry. And we thank you so much for your support and God bless you. I want to ask you a question today. Are you saved? What do you have to do to be saved? The time is now. If you've not already given your heart to the Lord Jesus Christ, it's time that you do so. And you can do it right now at this very moment. Just agree with this following prayer. I'm gonna ask you to believe this in faith and pray this with all your heart. And if you do so, you'll receive the free gift of salvation that Jesus bought for you. Jesus bought the penalty for sin. Pray this out loud right now. Dear God in heaven, I come to you today as a lost sinner. I'm asking you that you save my soul and cleanse me from all sin and unrighteousness. I realize in my heart my need for salvation, which can only come through Jesus Christ. I repent for my sins now, and I accept Jesus Christ into my heart, and I receive what he did on the cross at Calvary in order to purchase my redemption. In obedience to your word, God, I confess with my mouth the Lord Jesus Christ as my savior, and I believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead. You said in your word, which cannot lie, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ shall be saved. That's Romans 10:13. And I've called upon your name exactly as you have said in your word. And I do believe that right now I am saved. Amen. If you've sincerely prayed those words above and believe in your heart upon the Lord Jesus Christ, then at this moment, you are saved and your name is now written in the Lamb's book of life. And congratulations, because that was the most important decision you've ever made. Know that Jesus really does love you. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. John 3.16 Contact us today. We have a free book that we'd like to send you out if you have made that commitment today. folks, listen, do you know how vitally important it is that you subscribe, like, and share these videos because when you take that simple action you're helping to boost the show's algorithms. You know what they're doing out there on YouTube, Facebook and Twitter. They use AI to monitor and distribute content so when you do share like and subscribe, it helps the show appear in more people's news feeds and that is important with all this Stasi censorship isn't it? So by liking and sharing you're actually taking part spreading the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, equipping the saints, you're part of that. You become part of the harvesting of souls for God's eternal kingdom. So please again, take a moment to spread the good news of Jesus Christ. Like, share, and subscribe.